But uh, this week we're going to look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verses 12 through to 17. So if you uh, want to grab that in your Bibles, uh, open that up and Alison is going to come and read that for us. Thank you, Alison. Good morning. If this is your Bible, you'll find it on page 839. If you have the other Bible, 1,191, or behind me on the screen. All right. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. I have a pet peeve. It's something that really gets under my skin and it annoys me. It happens when I'm watching interviews with famous people and they're talking about their lives. In all of these interviews, and seriously, I mean all of them, uh, you reach a point somewhere towards the end of the interview where the interviewer asks, do you have any regrets? And every single time, without fail, the famous person will reply, no, I don't have any regrets. I wouldn't change a thing. Whenever I hear this, I find it infuriating. How could you possibly not have any regrets? Is there seriously not a single moment in your life when you said something stupid and hurt somebody? Is there not a single time that you wrote down a silly answer in a test? You've never eaten too much KFC and regretted it the next day? Like, I'm only 22, right? I'm young, but I'm already riddled with regrets. I can't even count the number of things I wish I hadn't done. There are so many times I've let people down over the years. Uh, so many times I've overextended and I've hurt myself. Uh, I can't even imagine what it must be like to be someone in their 40s, let alone someone in their 60s or their 80s and still somehow not have regrets. Maybe it's just me who's weighed down with regrets like this, but I don't think that it is. I think everyone lives with regrets. I actually think it's an important, a very real part of being a human being. The man that wrote the letter we are reading today was named Paul. Uh, he is the most influential Christian leader in history. In fact, as he wrote most of the New Testament, I'd say, maybe you could argue this, but I'd say he is the most popular and influential author in history not Christian author, author, anyone. Paul led the Christian movement during its infancy and under his guidance, 
Christianity spread through the known world. If ever there was a man without reason for regret, surely it was Paul. The celebrities of today, they all tell us they have no regrets, and no one alive today has even a fraction of the influence of Paul the Apostle on human history. So, without a doubt, Paul mustn't have a single moment he looks back on with regret, thinking he did the wrong thing. But Paul did have regrets, didn't he? He didn't look back on his whole life and think, yeah, I got everything right. I wouldn't change a thing. We see Paul's regret in verse 13 of the reading. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, he says. Let's take it back a step and talk about who Paul was before he was a Christian. Most people who grew up going to Sunday school will be able to tell you that Paul used to be named Saul, and rather than being a leader of the Christians, he was one of their main opponents. We can see this right from the very first time we meet Paul. It's in Acts chapter 7. Uh, a council of Jewish leaders, they're all furious at this Christian named Stephen, and they're so mad that they decide to kill him. And right there, watching it happen, is Paul, just a young man at the time. That, that's the first time we meet him overseeing the death of a Christian. From that moment on, he begins destroying the church. He, he goes from, that's actually, by the way, the term that the Bible uses, destroying the church. He goes from one place to another and he arrests anyone who follows Jesus. Paul was doing this, of course, because he believed he was right. This was a man who had spent a good portion of his life studying the scriptures and believed he was serving God by tearing down the church. After all, from a Jewish perspective, Jesus's claims, they sound insane. I mean, if someone showed up to our town today and claimed to be God himself, I think you would probably be with me in calling that person either a blasphemer or a lunatic. But Jesus was different, wasn't he? He's not just some guy claiming to be someone who he isn't. He arrived with incredible power and performed impossible miracles in front of thousands of witnesses. You would have to be blind not to see that the man who can feed thousands and command the seas to stand still has to be God. So, Paul is an expert on the scriptures, most of which have been pointing towards the moment when the Messiah, the man who is God, arrives in the world. Then comes the big moment. God arrives in the world as a man named Jesus. He's being followed by thousands of people. His teachings astonish everyone around him. And how does Paul respond? Not only does he fail to recognize the big moment his whole culture has been looking forward to, but he tries to punish the followers of Jesus as well. Paul becomes something of a boogeyman for the early church. Everywhere they go, they have to look over their shoulders uh, because he is going from one place to another, arresting people. You can see it really clearly 
when a few of the apostles meet Paul in Acts. They are scared because he's the guy who's been going from one town to another town, taking the Christians as prisoners. Paul becomes exactly the type of person we, 21st century we, despise. He spends his time and his energy ruthlessly persecuting a minority. So, what does Paul deserve? A man who tries to fight directly against the God who made him and persecutes people who disagree with him. Far from being someone with no reason for regrets, turns out if there was ever a man who deserved judgment, it was Paul, right? That was what I thought when I first read about Paul. In all of my 21st century arrogance, I looked back at this first century barbarian who treated everyone who disagreed with him like a criminal, and I judged him. How intolerant, I thought to myself. We are much more accepting these days. Then I opened Facebook. (laughs) And I saw a post telling me how everyone who supports political party X is a heartless monster. If you want to pretend that the same tribalism and malice that drove him doesn't exist in you, then you are lying to yourself. All of us find it difficult to admit that we are wrong. We can't stand the thought of hearing that the other side might be right and that we are wrong. We go on living, believing that we know what's best, when in reality, we're all just as ignorant as each other. So then, we're all in the same boat, just a world full of people convinced we are in the right. None of us can really accept that we are in the wrong about a whole bunch of things, every single one of us. We've all built our worldviews on non-negotiable ideas, things we are not willing to negotiate. Um, Maybe it's ideas about politics or gender roles or history or science. And we are all so self-centered, so small-minded that we can't see beyond our own worldviews. That's the problem, really, our pride. We think highly of ourselves. We are always working on the assumption that our ideas about the world are right. So I guess that's our fate, to live in a world polarized by our own pride. But it's actually worse than that. This pride and this self-centeredness is sin. We can see sin in Paul's actions. God arrived in the world as a man, the rightful ruler of not only Israel, but the whole universe. But Paul is so prideful, so convinced that he is right, that he outright rejects God. That is what sin is, rejecting God. It's something we do every day when we choose to ignore God and instead decide for ourselves what is right and what is wrong. From the very beginning of the Bible, God tells us that if we sin, we shall surely die. And what do you know? He kept his word. No one has escaped death 
yet. But Paul tells us there is a different way out. In the reading, Paul says, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Well, that's the real core of what Paul is saying. It's a huge change to his worldview and behaviour. He used to be a persecutor and a violent man, but not anymore because of the mercy and the grace of God. Paul doesn't tell us that he changed his ways through lots of careful introspection and a good self-help book. He attributes the change solely to God. He acknowledges that he deserved punishment, but instead he receives mercy. God doesn't punish him at all, but God doesn't stop at mercy. He takes it a step further. God shows Paul his grace and gives him more than he could ever have asked for. God changes Paul, reshapes him into a better man, no longer violent and abrasive, no longer the boogeyman of the early church. Paul becomes a leader and a scholar. God redirects all that zeal, all that passion, and he uses it for good. So what does the new Paul look like? Well, he tells us, you can get a real picture of his character with the saying he gives us, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. No longer does Paul see himself as the arbiter of religious truth, the judge, jury, and executioner. Rather, Paul realises that he is the very worst of sinners. This is true humility. The ability to step back and realise that not only are you wrong, but you are totally helpless, desperate, pathetic, Paul can see that he needs to be saved, and it's only Jesus that can save him. And even though Paul is totally undeserving, Jesus goes ahead and saves Paul. Let's not forget, Paul is the worst guy, the scourge of the Christians. By all rights, God should hate this guy. He goes from town to town arresting people just for following God, well, claiming to be a faithful follower of that God himself. He's a walking contradiction. However, this is the whole point. Jesus saved the worst guy. Just like Paul says, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. That is what Paul is saying. So what if you sin? Have you hurt people? Have you lied? Have you judged others? Are you stubborn? Are you rude? Do you get jealous? Do you feel lust? Well, guess what? Paul was worse. Paul knows what it feels like to experience regret. He knows what it's like to be weighed down, 
by the feelings of guilt for all the wrong things that you've done. But Paul also knows what it's like to have all of that lifted. That is the salvation that Jesus offers. He knows your sin, all that you have done, the regrets and the shame, the burden on your shoulders, and he offers to take all of it. This is the forgiveness of sins. But it wasn't so easy for Jesus as just saying, I forgive you, and moving on. Uh, There was a price he had to pay. Sin is real, and it has real consequences. If God just ignored that, then he wouldn't be good and just. All of that punishment, it needs to go somewhere. Someone needs to receive it if we won't. So Jesus came into the world, took the form of a man, and died an awful death on a cross. On that cross, he bore the punishment for us. So now, there is change. There is faith and love and mercy more than we could ever imagine. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I'm 22. I have no real idea about the burdens you might be carrying. Ultimately, my experience is very limited, and I can't personally understand the burdens and regrets that build up over a long life. You might be wondering if it's possible for you to be forgiven. The problems in your life might have been building for a long time. Maybe you feel hopeless. But guess what? He forgave Paul. And if he can forgive Paul, then he can forgive you. Christ did not die for good people. He died for sinners, of whom Paul was the worst. But God doesn't stop there. Death is the consequence of sin. So, do the maths with me. If death is the consequence of sin, and the burden of sin is taken away, then death can no longer hold us. I've watched so many movies and read so many books about people trying to grant eternal life. But I just want to say to the characters, hey, death has already been solved. Jesus fixed that problem 2,000 years ago, and he didn't need a magic serum to do it. Praise God, I say, because death has lost its sting. No longer do we live in fear, knowing that our end could come at any moment. Instead, we can say together with Paul, to live is Christ, to die is gain. We sing the praises of our God because this life is a blessing. But after this life, an even greater blessing awaits. All of this is overwhelming. It's amazing. It boggles the mind even after years of knowing about Jesus' sacrifice, that amazement bleeds out of the pages in verse 17. He just bursts out, now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. I get goosebumps reading that verse. You can feel Paul bursting at the seams with excitement. He can't think of enough things to say about how great God is, and they all just come flying out in the last sentence. 
That is the joy of the gospel. To be in a relationship with a God so huge and confusing and overwhelming that you'll never stop discovering more about him. If we take Jesus' sacrifice seriously, then this should be our attitude as well. We should be blown away by the sacrifice of Jesus. When was the last time you felt the need to shout about Jesus' sacrifice? Maybe you've never felt it. Maybe it's been a while. Maybe you felt it this morning. Uh, It's something I've felt as I've read Paul's words and prayed to God. I hope it's something you can feel too when you read about the change and the forgiveness that Paul tells us about. There is nothing like getting lost in the love of Christ. His love is a love great enough to change us into something better, just like Paul. His love is a love great enough to forgive the worst of sinners, to take the scourge of the Christians and reshape him into a saint. His love is a love great enough to save anyone, no matter how bad you have been, no matter what you have done this week, this year, this decade, whatever you are regretting, So stop waiting. Put your trust in Jesus, the one who died for you. Because if he can save the worst of sinners, then he can save you. Let's pray. Dear God, um, your gospel is incredible and it takes our breath away uh, day after day. Show us our total reliance on you because we are a stubborn, a prideful, a selfish people. Help us realize that the only truth there is, is your truth. Help us cling to that and help us cling to your sacrifice on the cross as the one thing that saves us. In Jesus' name, amen.